Hello and welcome back to Locked in a Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Suter. It's time to unlock our second episode. First of all, thank you very much for tuning back in. It was really nice to see all of the comments, listens and feedback. So hopefully you'll enjoy this episode too, as well as the many more to come. So today we're going to introduce the first of many new segments. This segment is Am I the Asshole? Escape Room Edition. People simply submit stories about things that have been going on in their life and they ask the audience or the people on Reddit, are they the asshole or not in this situation? We scoured Reddit to find Am I the Asshole entries and this is what we found. Let's see what you think. Okay, so this first one is, am I the asshole for being upset at my stepson for making my son feel dumb? Already, I'm having questions, but we'll see where this goes. So I've been L's 16 male stepfather for three years. He's extremely smart, he goes to college already. I also have a 17 year old son, which I'll call Z. We all like going to the escape room, so that's how we usually spend our time together. The thing is that L finds the clues and realizes everything with 10-15 minutes max before we even get to look around the room. I don't really mind, but I can tell that my son gets really upset. So I talked to L a few months ago and now he slows down a bit and lets him find some of the clues. A week ago we planned to go to another escape room. L didn't want to come because he was supposed to hang out with his friends, but we found some cigarettes in his room and is temporarily grounded so he couldn't hang out with them. He was pretty upset about it. We were in the room and around five minutes passed. Elle was just sitting there looking bored. He huffed and told Z that he had already picked the clue up like four times. We couldn't figure out what it was. Elle got up, solved it and told Z that it was the most basic clue he had ever seen. Z was really upset by it. We left soon and I told Elle that it was shitty to make his stepbrother feel dumb. He said he didn't care and wanted to go home. He said that maybe we shouldn't force him to hang out with us and he won't make us feel any kind of way. I kind of yelled at him that he was being disrespectful. He said he didn't care. My wife thinks that I should apologize for yelling and the whole situation is stupid in general. So what do you think, asshole or not the asshole? This is a little bit of a tricky one, but I'm fairly certain that it's the asshole here. By asking the stepson to essentially play down his intelligence so that the other brother can have a chance, it puts the stepson in a really awkward situation. If he's good at puzzles, he's good at puzzles. But if they enjoy playing as a family, then really they should find a way to best play together. In this particular situation, the stepson tried to just keep quiet and stay back. But unfortunately, when the family weren't able to actually solve the puzzles, he stepped in and then that's when the extra drama happened. So I think I'll go for final verdict now. Ultimately, the stepfather is choosing to make one brother happy rather than the other. Should really find better ways to make both of them happy. I reckon so anyway. What do you guys think? Okay, so that's one down and one to go. This one is simply titled, Am I the Asshole? Escape Room Edition. Here we go. The user writes, God, this is such a first world problem, but I feel really stuck on what to do. I'm visiting with the in-laws this week. Who are your pretty typical in-laws? They're obnoxious, loud, pushy. They're not bad people, but I get really tired of being around them very quickly. His parents always want to do escape rooms every time we're together, which isn't too often as we live far away from them. But the last time we did one, I had it. His mum shushed me even when I wasn't even speaking. She took objects right out of my hands and got mad at me and the others during the entire experience. Afterwards, I made it clear I did not enjoy the experience and I really didn't want to do it again. When we came home this time, someone suggested we all do another one. 
and everyone kind of mumbled and looked at me like, we can't. She doesn't want to. Which I didn't. Well, she just texted my fiancé and said she wants to do one tomorrow night. So I'm stuck. I could either just say I'll sit this one out, but I know they'll say, then we won't do it. Or I could suggest I go but sit outside and read. I love reading. Or I can just suck it up and just not participate. I'd really just be a warm body in the room, but at least everyone else would go to do it. I told my fiancé all of this and he completely understands but isn't sure which way I should go. So, am I the asshole if I just say I don't want to go? Okay, so that's the end of that one. What do we think? In ways, this is a little bit similar to the other one about where different groups have different dynamics when they're playing escape rooms. And sometimes, unfortunately, if people clash a little bit, it can go a little bit sour in an escape room, which is why it's always really good to kind of choose who you're playing with. Really looking at the bare bones of this, this person is an adult. Ultimately, if they don't want to go do something, they don't have to do something. However, obviously there is social obligations as to whether they should or shouldn't, especially when there's family concern. But if they're made to feel completely unwelcome and really not enjoying the experience, then really they might be seen as an asshole by the in-laws, but they don't have to go. And I would say not the asshole and that they can simply stay home if they want to. The fact that this person is deliberating about it shows that they actually care about the family and what they might think. So it's clear there's been some consideration into their feelings, but they also need to consider their own feelings. So, not the asshole. I hope you enjoyed that little segment. Hopefully we'll be able to find some more on the web and see what you think. It's time to head on to our next segment. Now, obviously escape rooms are all about the rooms, their design, and how awesome they are to experience. However, escape rooms have an unsung hero that needs to be talked about. That is, of course, Games Masters. Games Masters are integral to the experience to make sure that the customers have a good time. Now, it's often been said that a bad Game Master can make a great game terrible. However, a great Game Master can make even an average game a great experience. So as much as you don't see them for that long, they make the magic happen. So, what does a Game Master do? Well, first of all, there's preparation. A Game Master's preparation starts well before the players arrive. They must familiarise themselves with the theme, setting and story of the escape room, as well as the puzzles and clues. They must also understand the flow of the room and be able to anticipate any potential issues that may arise during the game. This preparation allows the Game Master to effectively guide the players through the experience and provide the best possible experience. So, talk more about the role of the Games Master. The Games Master is the person responsible for overseeing the escape room experience and ensuring that everything runs smoothly. They are the ones who introduce the players to the room, give them the rules and help them get started, but their role goes far beyond that. They are also the ones who monitor the progress of the players, offer hints and clues and ensure that everyone has a good time. One of the key things for Games Masters is the importance of customer service. So being a Games Master requires excellent customer service skills, of course. Players come to escape rooms to have fun, and it's the Games Master's job to make sure that they have a positive experience. This means being friendly, approachable, and able to handle any questions or concerns that they may have. It also means being able to read the room and gauge the mood of the players, adjusting their style as needed to ensure everyone is having a good time. Another important thing to take note of is Game Master's problem-solving skills. So escape rooms require players to think creatively, solve puzzles, think outside the box. 
Games masters must also have strong problem-solving skills, as they often need to troubleshoot any issues that may arise during the game. This might mean fixing a technical glitch, resetting a puzzle, or coming up with a solution to a tricky problem that the players are struggling with. And of course, with problem-solving also comes adaptability. Being a games master is an interactive experience, and each group of players is different. Games masters must be able to adapt to each group and adjust the flow of the game as needed. This might mean giving extra hints to a struggling group, or maybe keeping an eye on a group where one of the team members feels that it's a good idea to pick locks, which may then interrupt the game flow. I can say though from experience that there is a thrill to the job. Despite the challenges, being a games master can be a thrilling and rewarding experience. Games masters get to be a part of the excitement of escape rooms, watching as players solve puzzles and escape the room. They also get to be a part of the creative process, helping to bring the room to life and making it a unique and enjoyable experience for players. One thing that I always love to see from our Games Masters is the crazy characters that they come up with. They really put themselves into the role and it only enhances the gameplay and the experience for the customers. Plus it's fun for them too. So now it's time for a little bit of Q&A. We put out to our listeners to ask us some questions and so here we go. Question number one is what are some common mistakes that designers make when creating puzzles and how can these be avoided? This is a great question. There's a few things that I could probably say. So one thing would be overcomplicating puzzles. Puzzles that are too difficult or complicated can just lead to frustration and slow down uh, for the flow of the game and ultimately just affect the whole experience. Another thing would be, I guess, lack of variety. Having too many similar puzzles or puzzles that rely on the same mechanics can just lead to boredom and repetition, even if you think that it's good. Another one would be poor clues. Maybe poorly written or vague clues can make puzzles difficult to solve, leading to just frustration and slowdown again. Another thing would be unbalanced difficulty. Having some puzzles that are too easy or too difficult can really disrupt the balance of the game. Another thing, which is always a bugbear, uh, is poorly integrated puzzles. Puzzles that don't fit well within the theme or the story of the room it can really detract from the overall experience. And probably to avoid these mistakes, designers should really make sure that they test puzzles with a diverse group of players to get feedback on the difficulty level and accessibility. Another thing would be to make sure to just include a variety of puzzle types and mechanics to keep players engaged. Maybe make a little breakdown of what types of actual puzzles you have in the room, not just the puzzles themselves, and make sure to see if there's one type of puzzle that you're missing Maybe that could be the one that makes your room even better. Another thing is you've got to make sure to write clear and concise clues that lead players in the right direction. You never want a red herring, um, as it can only detract from the experience. Another thing would be to regularly reassess the difficulty of each puzzle to ensure a balanced experience for all players. Now over time we make sure to keep an eye on our success rates and not only that, find the puzzles that people are getting stuck with. Just because you've released the room, it doesn't mean that you stop changing the puzzles. A room constantly evolves over time, and we've got rooms that have been with us for seven years, and even now still there's tweaks and changes as we see that people play things in different ways. Or we just simply have ideas for new puzzles to replace some of the older ones to keep it a little bit more fresh. It's really important to make sure that you integrate the puzzles into the theme and the story of the room to create a more immersive experience. If you have players questioning why the hell is this here, then that immersion that you've been trying to create for your experience can unfortunately be broken. 
Okay, so our next question is how do you make escape rooms accessible to players of different skill levels or ages? So this is a little bit of a tricky one and it's always something that can be a little bit difficult to balance, but we get there in the end. So to make it accessible for different skill levels and ages, it requires careful consideration of, of multiple factors, I guess. I think one of the, the factors is potentially offering multiple levels of difficulty. Different players have different skill levels, so offering multiple levels of difficulty can ensure that each player is challenged but not frustrated. We did this in our Christmas themed room, North Pole Panic 2. We had a naughty and a nice difficulty. For kids or family groups, they got to play the nice difficulty which allowed them to get all of the nice presents. This meant that they could always make sure that they get a win. There was enough puzzles to make sure that kids or family groups are engaged and entertained, while also it not being impossible for them to solve. I mean, of course, who wants to make a, a team fail Christmas, right? But for those that wanted more of a challenge, we also had the naughty difficulty. This opened up more puzzles for players to solve so that they had to not only solve all of the nice presents, but they also had to solve all of the naughty presents. What worked really well for us though is that the way that we designed it, it meant that people could start off by just aiming to do the nice difficulty, and if they happened to be smashing it, then they could start moving on to some of the naughty difficulty presents and maybe even complete all of those as well, truly saving Christmas. Another thing to consider is making sure that you provide clear and concise clues. Vague or poorly written clues can make a puzzle more difficult, especially for younger players or those with limited experience with escape rooms. Clear and concise clues can help players of all skill levels stay on track and solve the puzzle. Another thing to really consider is age-appropriate content. The puzzles and themes used in the room should be appropriate for the intended age range of the players. However, one thing to consider, especially for escape room owners when putting it on their website, consider the age appropriateness of the content within the room, like the props, the story, the scenery. Then consider the actual age appropriateness of the puzzles themselves. For example, you could have a really nice looking fantasy fairy tale room, which you could easily say would maybe be suitable for ages eight plus. However, if you then design a difficult game, it may actually then only really be suitable for ages 12 plus. So it's a matter of being honest with yourself and finding that fine balance to make sure that your customers are booking the right game for them. Incorporating a variety of different puzzle types is really important. For example, you've got like logic puzzles, physical puzzles, word puzzles, interactive puzzles. This can ensure that there's something for players of all skill levels. It also means that because generally the groups have different skill sets, is that it means that someone in that group will have something that really suits them and makes them really feel like they've got a win when they solve that puzzle. An important thing is to make the room accessible for all abilities. So when designing or creating escape rooms, you have to consider the accessibility for players with physical disabilities or special needs and ensure that the room is accessible and accommodating for as many players as possible. Now with escape rooms, this can be quite tricky, having hidden spaces where people might need to crawl through that automatically eliminates some players from being able to engage or even play the experience. And while it's not always possible for every single room, you need to make sure that you consider the possibilities of how you can do it, different workarounds that ensure that people can still play. One of the things that we ensure to do is on our website, we actually have an accessibility page. The accessibility page breaks down at different types of accessibility and what rooms are suitable for what people. This allows people to really get an open and honest view of exactly what would be suitable for them. 
So I think we'll head on to our final question now, uh, which is, what trends do you see emerging in the world of escape rooms and puzzle design? And what are you most excited to explore in your future designs? What we now know as escape rooms is constantly evolving, but there are a few different subsections that we're definitely gonna see a lot more of in the future. Virtual reality is one of the big ones that we keep on seeing. The use of virtual reality technology is becoming increasingly popular in escape rooms, allowing players to fully immerse themselves in the game. It also allows some companies to be able to have completely ridiculous, immersive, real lifelike adventures, but in a much smaller space. Interactive storytelling is another thing that I think will get more and more popular. There's a trend towards incorporating more narrative elements into escape rooms, creating an experience that feels more like an interactive story. So we may start seeing this more on a larger scale, maybe less puzzle content, and more just people going through their own movie and their own experience. Not everyone likes puzzles, so of course this type of interactive storytelling may be much more appealing to more people. Of course, technology is something that's going to be incorporated even more. People will be able to use their smartphones, touchscreens, and even augmented reality while playing a room. This is already happening, and it's really exciting to see. One big thing that I can see that's going to be coming up even more is escape room experiences that are based on popular franchises, books, movies, and more. It's becoming more and more popular, and it allows people to immerse themselves in their favourite worlds. Now, obviously, some escape rooms do this without the actual IP. However, I think more and more actual licensed escape room experiences will be coming, and it's going to be great to see. Something that was great to see recently is I saw that over in Bristol, uh, the company Locked in a Room opened a Wallace and Gromit escape room. It's not something that I ever would have expected to see coming from an escape room. However, I will 100% be going out to play that. Sounds great. Other companies across the UK and even the world have also incorporated other big franchises like Saw, Doctor Who, Evil Dead, and even Tomb Raider. Funnily enough, speaking of Tomb Raider, back in the day we were actually approached by a combination project between Google and Warner Brothers. We even got to visit the fancy Google HQ up in London. Unfortunately, we didn't quite get the gig, but to be honest, it was an honour just to be in the running. However, we are glad that our comrades over at Clockwork Dog managed to secure the deal and they put on an absolutely fantastic experience for the Tomb Raider pop-up. So for the final bit of that question, it was about some of the things that I'm excited to explore in my future designs. One of the things that I'm really interested and keen on is the interactive storytelling elements that you see in theme parks. One of our greatest inspirations for storytelling and set design is the Efteling theme park in the Netherlands. If you haven't been, I highly recommend you go. Their approach to whimsical storytelling is so different from the likes of Disneyland. In our future rooms, I want to really be able to tell stories while also people feeling like they're actually part of that story and make a difference. Thank you once again for tuning in to the second episode of Locked in a Podcast. Make sure to follow, share, like and all that jazz. It helps spread the word. So, the next episode will be a special one. A post-mortem of Dinoland. Dinoland was our largest experience ever, which sadly closed due to the pandemic. I'll be talking in depth about never before heard insights and behind the scenes about its origins, creation and construction. Thanks for listening and until next time, just remember, don't panic. Don't panic.